Hey everybody, welcome to Recommend or Refute. I am your host, Michael Dixon, and with me this week is John Garcia. Hey, hey, happy to be here. I heard Brian had family to deal with. It's some kind of family thing. Yeah, fucking, uh, he's taking Fast 10 way too seriously, and now he cares about his family for some reason. Can't believe he cares about his family more than this podcast. He normally neglects his children and lets them fend for themselves, and now he's off parenting or some bullshit. Should take a play play from the run book and just kidnap his family to be on this podcast. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't either. The run book? I don't even know what you're talking about, John. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We should take a run from the playbook? How does football work again? The playbook? Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, John, what did you watch this week that you would like to share with us? Uh, yeah, so I watched... Um, just this, this little indie movie. I don't actually know if it was an indie movie or not. Uh, it was a thriller from 2021. It's a Swedish thriller, I believe, called Knocking. 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 The premise of this movie is a woman leaves a psychiatric ward after she's had a nervous breakdown. It's not really clear what happened to her. Okay. Um, And she moves into an apartment and starts hearing a knocking on her ceiling. She's not sure where the knocking's coming from, and she tries to figure out what it could be, who it is, any of these things, and comes to the conclusion that there's somebody in danger that needs her help. And as the whole movie progresses through its 78-minute runtime, we discover that maybe there is something sinister going on in this apartment. Hmm. Um, This movie, the story is kind of played through. The moment that you watch it, you know exactly what you're watching and you know what some of the beats are. I will say there are certain twists where you're like, is that going to happen? I don't know. And the movie tries to get ahead of you on the curve here and there. But overall, I felt like the 78 minute runtime wasn't enough. I felt like it ran out of steam and it forced a lot of twists to happen. Oh, interesting. But from a technical perspective and the way that it's shot and the cinematography, I thought of like um, Mean Streets is wait that's some high praise i thinking of mean streets or am i thinking of who's knocking my door when i think of the drunk camera uh no it mean streets so. is the one where the camera is strapped to harvey Keitel. that's the one walking that's, around the that's bar what I thought. Yeah. yes uh i thought of that shot in mean streets because that's used a lot here to express the claustrophobia and sort of psychosis she feels like she's undergoing there's sort of like a gaslighting um theme that's played with here where a lot of the characters that live in her apartment are men and they all seem to try they, they think that she's being hysterical, this this main character. Um and so she has male roommates who think she she's has, crazy. Not she even roommates, just like flat, like, you know, neighbors, and they all are like she she you know, it's it's one of those things where I felt like this movie had the same problem that Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss had, uh, which is not the times, Invisible Man with Claude Rains. Not that one. No, no, <laughs> where he goes fucking ape shit for, for different reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I felt like there was this disconnect at times where the character 
did things that were outside of the character's logic for the sake of tone and the story. So like in invisible man, Elizabeth Moss crawls into an attic to find a phone that's vibrating because why exactly would she put her in a compromising pose when she's got like this abusive boyfriend she knows is already doing all this shit. It's the same thing in knocking where like this woman devises that there must be a conspiracy. She becomes committed to it and is like, I know this man is harboring somebody in his flat. I know that he has a woman somewhere in here, probably who's like change or something. She becomes so committed and fixated on that after having her nervous break that she completely ignores the optics of people thinking that she might be crazy mm. and doesn't try to work around that or build up evidence to it. And it really frustrated me. And maybe that's just a me problem. Maybe my logic is off on this. But when I watched it, I appreciated the cinematography because when she got really frantic, the camera got closer and closer to the point where like, you were just in her headspace. Like there's no way to be there with all these other characters without experiencing what she's experiencing. And I felt like that was great, a good conveyance of it. Interesting. But anything outside of that, where she's trying to get the bad guy, figure out who this person is, who's got somebody chained in the room. Uh, it, it felt really rushed. It felt like it wasn't done in a very polished way. And the movie ended in a pretty weak like conclusion where they, it literally felt like the director and writer threw up their hands and just said, yeah, okay. It is what you thought it was. And they just fucking like let everything play out the way it was going to. And I was mm. like, Oh, that's not satisfying for me. Not at all. But like from an audio perspective, sometimes things like the Foley was really well done. They had like these kind of creepy tense moments um, that just audibly sucked you into it. And then from a visual perspective, they really got me into her delusions and guessing if things are real or not at times. At other times I was still like, yeah, I think that the plot's going to end this way. And it did. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like middle of the road for me. Uh, Sasha fell asleep halfway through and wondered what happened. She was not willing to go back and watch it. She just wanted me to tell her. And that kind of says enough about the movie is like, yeah, it's probably what you thought it was. Um, I'm interested to dig into more that the director's done. If this is something that, uh, that they're trying to experiment with Frida Kempf is the director, um, hmm. who's done a few other films before it. Uh, but I think like the most recent was something in like 2016. Um, so I, I don't entirely know what else Frida Kempf was trying to do. If there's any style that she's trying to go for, but I was like, it may be interested in the people behind it. I would hesitate to recommend it. I don't think that I would recommend it um, because it just doesn't tell any story that's really new. It's cool to see from a technical perspective, but I, I would have to say I refute knocking. Oh, interesting. I wasn't expecting that. It, it sounds like at least visually it's interesting. And, and it being that it's only 78 minutes, I would think that that could sustain a, a story like that. I was so uh, it's it's the same thing with Invisible Man where I wouldn't recommend Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss either for the exact same reason that I was just so frustrated with the hypocrisy of the character logic that I just couldn't get past it. Like even with the visual tones and like the really cool technical achievements in it, I just was like, no, past this point, this movie becomes it, it contradicts itself. And I don't like that. Uh, that's maybe my one weird hang up in recommending a movie is yeah. if a movie starts to contradict itself, like, don't get me wrong. I watched a, a shit ton of schlock and all those movies don't know what they want to be. So they can't 
contradict themselves in my opinion they're just already so off the wall but this one did very careful work at the beginning to lay this foundation that she'd just gotten out of you know psychiatric treatment she was very aware of that just like an invisible man elizabeth moss just gets out of a bad relationship she's very cognizant of that and both of these characters stray from that path and totally forget that when they're under duress rather than remembering what they supposedly claim they remember and i was just like uh, it feels like you're trying to do something to elicit an emotion from me rather than to endear me to the character and really get me to feel it through them. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, two things came to mind when you were describing the movie, um, given that you were saying that like, maybe she's crazy and she keeps hearing this beating and also the, the camera zooming in on her and you kind of experiencing her perspective sound like a cross between telltale heart and mother by Darren Aronofsky. I don't know if mm. you've seen mother. I have never finished Mother, surprisingly. Uh, I don't know. I really liked Mother. It's upsetting, and a lot of people don't like it, but um, it's it sounds like that kind of thing. Like in that movie, the camera is on, like right on Jennifer Lawrence the entire time, and you're like unclear if what you're seeing is like her emotional reaction to what's going on or her interpretation of what's happening or if it's what's actually occurring. And it creates this really heightened... Uh, atmosphere th- throughout the movie that I think works really well. Yeah. I, I've been meaning to go back and watch mother. Um, Darren Aronofsky is hit or miss with me, but I sure. Yeah. It's one of those ones that's a little bit more out there and metaphorical and I'm down to watch it. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's not Noah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would give this my time of day <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, is there that telltale heart idea? Is that like going on in this? Or Actually, is, yes. That yeah. is uh, one of those roots in this knocking is whatever her traumatic past is, I'm not going to spoil it. Something about it has left her guilt ridden and she feels compelled to try to figure out what the knocking is and get to huh. the bottom of it because she in her past failed to save something or someone and wants to uh, write that wrong basically. And that factors into her, her character arc. If you want to watch this movie, I would say, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. I, I just, John don't is not going to come to your house and reprimand. That's you right. I'm not going to reprimand you for doing it. If you tell me in a conversation, yeah, I watched knocking, even though you refuted it, John, I won't be like, Oh, you did that. Mm. But we'll probably both share a beer, share a Corona oh, over no. the, <laughs> no, we won't. Do you uh, want to finish this one over here? John? <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. I'm fine. No, you still got uh, some over there. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll probably both commiserate over the same grievances of this movie. That's my guess. But, yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm going to talk about a new movie that I saw in theaters a couple of days ago called The Starling Girl. Dear Lord, I want to reflect your holiness. Come into this space and fill it with your spirit. Amen. I've noticed that the bra that you chose is visible through your dress. Oh, teachable moment. Hey, thank you. We try to be very conscious, but things slip. Ben Taylor asked your dad about courting you. I never really talked to Ben. 17's the time to start thinking about these things. Lord, I know I've given into lustful thoughts and actions that take my focus away from you and onto me. I know that's wrong. What were you doing there? You cannot tell anyone right now, okay? Uh, this premiered at South by 2023, and I tried to go see it, and I wasn't able to get in. It was a pretty popular movie 
at the festival and not all the times worked out well for me and I, I wasn't able to to get to it but uh, I saw it a couple days ago and really enjoyed it. It stars Eliza Scanlon, who John, you know from Sharp Objects. Uh, she was in the uh, 2019 Little Women, also. So some okay. people may know her from. She plays uh, the sick sister. I don't remember her name, oh, but yeah. you know the one that's always sick. Um, but I think she's a really great young actress, and I, I always enjoy stuff that she does. So I was wanting to check this out. I didn't really know much about it going in other than that it got, it got a lot of buzz at South by and that it had gotten pretty good reviews and that Eliza Scanlon was starring in it. It's written directed by somebody named Laurel Parmet. I'm not sure, you know, kind of what else she has done. I look back at filmography. I don't really recognize much of, of her other films, but um, really enjoyed the Starling girl. It is about a small Southern community that is very, very Christian, uh, probably Southern Baptist. And it creates a, a very um, accurate atmosphere of what it is like to be a teenager in a like Southern Christian church environment where the whole town is uh, you know, going to church every Sunday and then there are all these expectations around what you are supposed to do as a young person. Eliza Scanlon's character is 17 years old. Um, her name is Jem. Jem, short for Jemima, J-E-M. Okay. Uh, Jem Starling, uh, hence the title, The Starling Girl. And she's being pressured to date the pastor's son. And the pastor has called uh, Jem's father and said that, hey, my son wants to court your daughter. And it's very weird and formal. And like, I... I've not been a part of this type of thing, but I know that this kind of shit happens in this environment where like it's kind of almost feels like an arranged marriage. Fucking patriarchy. And it's very it's a very formal courting process where you only date for the purpose of marriage and that you know You date for the purpose of mate. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and they're like these 17 year old kids that their parents are pushing them Ugh. to to get married. Um she doesn't really seem that interested in it. But um, she doesn't necessarily like verbalize that to anyone because there are ramifications for stepping outside of the lines of what the church and your family wants you to do in this type of community. Um, she really loves dancing. She's on the like, there's a kind of a dance troupe at the church that does like worship song dances, you know, kind of like slow, graceful dances with like flowing gowns that are you know, no, nothing that would be deemed uh, inappropriate whatsoever. Um, she seems to really be into that. And, you know, she wants to dance, but it's kind of frowned upon in the community to really pursue that beyond the church setting. And she meets one person who is actually interested in her pursuing her goals of being a dancer, who is the youth pastor and the uh, main pastor's oldest son, not the one that he is trying to get her to date. Uh, he has just returned from a mission trip to Puerto Rico, and everybody thinks he's kind of weird because he's been hanging out at this church in Puerto Rico, and he has some like different ideas about Christianity and worship being outside of the typical like Southern American Christian yeah. culture, and so he's kind of like having trouble fitting back into society. He's played by Lewis Pullman, who is Bill Pullman's son. <gasps> Wow. Yeah. The president of the United States, Bill Pullman? Exactly. Oh, my God. Um, and he was really good in this. I've seen him in some other things before. Uh, oh, he's in Top Gun Maverick. All right. Um, he plays uh, um, like that nerd in Top Gun Maverick. Okay. You know, who, yeah, I could yeah. see it. Um, 
but you know, in this in this case, he's you know the older you know mid twenties youth pastor who's in a loveless marriage, and uh, uh, Jim Starling starts to take a shine to him, and he starts to take a shine to her, and they begin uh, kind of hanging out and having a romantic relationship, mm. uh, which you know unclear what the legal age of consent is in this town or state that they're in. We don't really necessarily know where this is set, but it's, it creates this weird tension as the viewer, because you're like, these are the two characters who don't fit in this town and they have found each other and that's cool. And they need to like be able to find other people who don't buy into everything that this town is, is pushing and all the like very strict Southern Christian ideology. But you know, she's 17 and he's like mid twenties and he's married. And so it's, it's like a weird tension where like, you kind of want them to have a connection, but you don't want them to have a connection as well because it feels a bit predatory at the same time. Um, but both of those characters are just really well-rounded and, and really great. And you care a lot about both of them and they do such a good job of crafting like exactly what it feels like to be in a like a Southern Baptist youth group and and how you know everybody says the right things, but nobody really wants to, you know, everybody's fucking 17 and horny, right? But yeah. like they're all saying the right things and going along with what the church has to say. There's so much judgment going on, everybody judging everybody for like not being holy enough. And I, I thought it just created a really interesting atmosphere. And the story that plays out with these two characters, I thought, was really great. And, and um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Eliza Scanlon and Lewis Pullman are both uh, really good, young, up-and-coming actors. I'm excited to see what they do from here. So, Yeah, that sounds... Uh, it's, it reminds me, it's weird because it triggered this other synapsis in my brain that reminded me of Juno, in a way. Oh, okay. Uh, where it's just like, oh yeah, there's like a girl who's kind of outcast because of her current status and she meets a guy who is married and has, you know, all these dreams and aspirations and has chosen a different path in life that like compels him forward and they find a relationship, although that has a tragic ending to it i don't know what this one does i mean it's not gonna end well yeah right? obviously like, that can't in a in that kind of environment i've mm-hmm. seen uh fuck what is that documentary jesus camp um <laughs> which is i think that that's a telling thing <laughs> i don't know i just feel like that's what uh, what any kind of evangelical or baptist kind of upbringing is going to to root up um yeah but yeah uh th- that's fascinating from a from a character standpoint, like what do we, what is the perspective here? Like how does the cinematography play into it? I'm kind of curious how like intimate the shots are or our time with the characters are. Do we have any moments apart from, from Jim or yeah. is it? So most of the movie is on Jim and you're following her and seeing the world from her perspective. You get moments where you you know, kind of get the perspective of other characters. Um, you know, obviously Lewis Pullman's character, you feel a lot of what he's going through is they're kind of, you know, showing these two characters are the ones who kind of feel ostracized and they want something else in life. Um, Jim's mother is like a very fundamentalist, very strict Christian woman. Her father is a really interesting character, uh, played by Jimmy Simpson, 
Um, oh, Jimmy Simpson. This guy. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Simpson yeah. from fucking Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And like he was in Stay yep. Alive, which uh, is uh, Westworld, Black Mirror. Yep. Uh, he's been in a lot of things. Um, he has a recognizable face. I love Jimmy Simpson. He's yeah, great. He was incredible in this in a supporting role, but he plays her um, father who is relapsing into alcoholism Damn. as we see it in over the course of the film. And he, as a young man, was in a secular band in Memphis that was, you know, playing secular country music and seemed to really, seems to really pine for that era of his life, but rationalizes himself now saying, well, you know, I found your mother and I found Jesus and I needed to get rid of those aspects of my life because they were kind of pulling me down and I needed to do this and this was the right thing to do. But he's clearly not happy with his life and he feels stagnant and you know jim will catch him in the garage listening to his old albums and uh, getting shit-faced and damn it's clearly creating issues in his marriage yeah. and you know his his wife is very fundamentalist and very all about appearances right and she's like if jim tries to bring it up with her mom like hey i saw dad drinking last night it seems like he's not in a good place she'll just like ignore it and act like it's not happening yeah. Right. And like, she just wants to make sure that no one outside of the house realizes that her husband is an alcoholic and is having these, these problems. Damn. And, um, so like it, he's, he's a really great character too, provides a lot of context for kind of her desire to have a different life and go do something else outside of being a Christian wife and mother and what is expected of, of her to do. Yeah. Man, that sounds fucking great. Like as depressing as that sounds, <laughs> it sounds fucking great. I honestly feel like my heart would be in that movie. Like just watching it. Yeah. I'd be very, um, it. I mean, watching the movie, I was like, I'm not from a small town like this, but like, I, I know this, yep. I know this atmosphere kind of that they're creating. Uh, yeah. I know people like this. I have been in this type of environment in like a Baptist youth group and I, I know what, what's going on here. And I, I felt like they just, the movie felt so true and i don't know what the writer director's background is but i i would imagine that she has some intimate familiarity with these types of settings yeah i'm curious so obviously you're recommending this right i mean I'm yes really, this i'm, I'm like recommending this no this is uh one of my favorite <laughs> movies of the year so far it's a new movie uh john wick 4 is still my number one movie of the year so far but starling girl is, yeah. is number two give me the movie where john wick falls in love with a preacher and we'll talk about it hey, hey yeah <laughs> john wick five <laughs> Um, it's a team up to fight I, the devil. I'm very, I'm very, uh, curious because, uh, I know that we share, um, a mutual appreciation for another movie that's about fundamentalist religion and discussion of it, which, uh, I know you, I, I've been watching your letterbox. I know you watched <laughs> master gardener. Recently. I did watch master gardener recently. And Paul yes. Schrader also did a religious film, uh, with first reformed. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. It's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. You believe in martyrdom, Reverend? The, the, the saints of God, the early Christians who wouldn't renounce their faith. My hands shake as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can God forgive us for what we've done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? How do you see 
first reformed stacking i don't want to try to compare them obviously they're totally different films first reformed yeah. has a, a different vibe than the starling girl does um but very much so um i mean i i absolutely love first reformed it's one of my all-time favorite movies um that had like a profound impact on me when when i saw it just like kind of shook me to my core um first reformed is very much a paul schrader film it's very brisonian it's it's um it's very bleak uh, look at christianity where you know ethan Hawke's character is you know going to desperate violent ends to try to solve his problems that have been created by the church and you know feeling very helpless and how to get out of them um the starling girl is is also like pointing a finger at the hypocrisy of the church and the problems that it creates for young people in particular and the confusion and and things that that can cause there it's not um like schrader's movies you know like at the end there's going to be some kind of crazy violence and they're going to punch you in the face and and that's kind of how they crescendo and and finish and this movie doesn't do that right it's more of a a personal story between these characters and how they how they deal with these issues in their small town um i mean there's definitely like shit hits the fan right like eventually this can't end well this relationship between this youth pastor and this yeah 17 year old uh you know it's clearly not going to to go well but um you know it's not like explosive like a paul schrader movie it's a little more kind of grounded in you know okay this happens now it's out there what do we do about it um and i think it does that really well and you know i i love paul schrader films and i love first reformed and i i think the way that that movie crescendos and ends is incredibly powerful and i and i love that this is not that but it's also a very you know powerful and interesting way to approach this kind of dynamic where you're looking at the hypocrisies and the problems of the church and trying to reconcile those against the world around it. Gotcha. Wow. Um, well, I'm going to have to check this out. I, uh, yeah, just, you sold me on it, man. You sold me. It sounds really <laughs> fucking great. It's yeah. still in theaters right now. Um, it is as of like today, I think, I don't know, but I don't know how much longer it will be. It was, I actually, the only place I was able to see it was at Alamo Lake line. And I oh. happened to be up in round rock for an eye doctor appointment. And I was like, Oh, I'll just go over there. Um, but yeah, like it was kind of out of the way. So I don't know how much longer it'll be in theaters. I would imagine it'll be streaming pretty it'll soon. It'll be streaming soon. Yeah. Um, on max with yeah. <laughs> the fucking list of creators instead of director writers and shit. Whatever the fuck. Uh, oh doing. my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's take away the one part of the brand that people recognize. Remove the HBO. Keep the max. Perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. And I did see Master Gardener this weekend. Like, uh, like I said, I love Paul Schrader. I think his his three recent films have all been very interesting. I actually saw an interview with Schrader um, at, I think it was New York Film Festival last year after Master Gardener premiered. And he was talking about the last three movies that he's made, First Reformed, The Card Counter, and Master Gardener. Yeah. Uh, I think they've gotten progressively worse. I l absolutely loved First Reformed, really liked The Card Counter, liked Master Gardener. It was, it was, it was good. Like I would recommend it, but it wasn't, I don't think it was good as the previous two, but he talked about how, um, I think the, the programmer asked him like, you know, your recent movies have been, um, you know, very low budget, but it almost seems like you've achieved some sort of freedom through that. And he said, you know, yeah, it's like, it's interesting, you know, because of the technology now with digital cameras, we can shoot very quickly. I can shoot a movie in 20 days. And they're like, 
cut the budget in half on what it would have been with film cameras and and all these other things. And he's like, I always wanted to make a just like a straight up Robert Brisson kind of movie, but I could never convince people to fund it. And so I wasn't really making movies exactly how I wanted to. And now that I can shoot things digitally, I can make a movie in three, shoot a movie in three weeks and edit it on my own time. Like, you know, I can actually afford to make the movies that I want to make. And, you know, these movies aren't going to break the box office, but they'll make enough money to pay the investors back. And like, I just really want to be able to make the movies I can make and, you know, not have investors mad at me. And like, you know, he's able to do what he wants now. And like, he's in his like fucking late seventies at this point. Like, but and he's and it. He's like, now I can finally do what I've always wanted to do. Like that's, there's something yeah. like really beautiful about that, that I, I really, um, appreciate. And, you know, I've, I've seen, I, I there are definitely Schrader movies that I still need to see. I haven't seen Mishima and I haven't seen the comfort of strangers and, and some others that I, I definitely need to see, but I, I've seen a lot of his films and his recent three really feel like what he has always wanted to do and what has been driving him since he wrote the script for taxi driver. Mm. And like the film that Scorsese made is incredible, but it's not like, it's not the exact Paul Schrader vision, it's right? Schrader it's, it's a little wanted, bit more yeah. maximalist than what Schrader would want to do. He's just so minimalist and pared down. And um, Master Gardener is good. I, I think like it's definitely worth checking out, but you know, First Reformed, just fucking masterpiece. And the card counter, I thought was, was really, really great as, as well. So, but I love seeing like, you know, this absolute, you know, giant of cinema is like, now I can finally do what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. It's, it's, it's heartwarming and it's also tragic to me, but it's it also is, one yeah. of those like curmudgeon tragics where I'm like, Oh, well, how could you, how dare you not give Paul Schrader this money to do these things? When like, I know that there's a whole fucking financial backing that has to stand up and people have to get their money. And cause it's fucking capitalism who yeah. You know, fucking, you have to get your pay. But at the same time, like you got Ari Aster making Bo is Afraid over here and Paul Schrader's like, now that I have digital, I can cut the budget in half. And it's like Roger Deakins has been saying that for so many fucking years <laughs> <laughs> about getting different shots and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but it, it sounds like Schrader's in his happy place. And I love hearing creators who are able to go. Uh, that's my one thing. I think I found my my weakness in film and what I love most. It's not things that make me like happy from a, Oh, I watch it and it's entertaining to me. Uh. It's watching somebody else's indulgent fantasy. Like obviously <laughs> I love watching schlock and schlock is mostly like people trying to get money out of some fucking industry, but then I'll watch the occasional, you know, uh, fucking get champagne and bullets. And, yeah. and I'm like, good for you. You fucking did it. Or I'll watch first reform to be like, hell yeah, Paul Schrader. And, you know, obviously all of Tarantino's films I fucking love. So I'm just like, you're doing what you love. You're getting to put your voice out there. That's what film should be for me. And I love seeing it. Um, it just makes me sad that Paul Schrader has to slash the budget in half. I'd love to see a big budget Paul Schrader film where he just gets to go fucking yeah. ham. That'd be amazing. I mean, honestly, I just, I don't know that he needs, he doesn't need that. it. Like, I don't, I yeah. don't think first reform could be made better by more money. I don't Not think the card all. counter could be made better by more money. I honestly, I don't think master Gardner can be made, made better by more money. I'm not a big Joel Edgerton fan. I think if they had a different actor in that role, it mm. might've been a better movie. Sigourney Weaver is great. Mm. Uh, um, but you know, I, I think he can do what he wants to do with a pretty small budget. Like yeah. I would love to see him be able to do that on 35 millimeter. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, if he wanted to do that, but 
you know, it's not where we are. And like, you know, Brisson, I love Robert Brisson. His, his movies are incredible, like just very groundbreaking in, in their style and what he was doing. But he was only making like two movies a decade because like, you know, these aren't mass appeal things like they are, yeah. you know, interesting art pieces that are trying to break new ground in what movies can do. And, and like, you know, you're just not going to get a huge return on those for the most part. Um, you know, it's like the, the man escapes was a pretty big hit. And then other than that, you know, pretty small potatoes and the money he was pulling in. So like, I understand why people aren't, it makes sense running to Paul like, Schrader. Like, let me give you money to make one of these. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, I understand it for sure. It's just one of those things where I'm just like, anytime I can see a, a creator who's like, Oh, you know, they, they have, when they have to talk about how much they have to do the budget in order to do what they love. I'm like, ah, that sucks. I really wish you yeah. could get the budget to do what you love, but I'm glad that you're able to make it work. Like there, there's trade-offs to it. Um, but I, yeah, just, it's good to know that he has not been crushed by the industry. He's still been able to kind of fly free and do what he wants to do. And he feels like he's doing it to the best of his abilities. So it's like, cool way to go. Paul Schrader. I got to check out master gardener. I got to check out the card counter still. I know you oh, haven't seen the card counter. Oh, you should watch still the card. counter. not seen the card yeah. counter. One, one thing that I think is really cool about what Schrader is doing recently is like his, his recent movies are all very similar, right? They're about a man in a room getting mad about something. And you know, going and doing something about it and but he uses that story to attack different problems in society right mm. and like with first reformed he is uh you know pointing out the hypocrisy of the church and he is drawing attention to climate change with the card counter he is pointing the finger at the american military and the way we treat our veterans and torture programs overseas through the guise of a card player right it's like he's uh He's able to take, and that's kind of, he talked about in the Master Gardener interview I watched, like kind of how he starts to come up with his scripts. And he's like, well, I, I know I like this format and like, I need an occupation and a, an idea in society that I can kind of criticize. And, and Master Gardener is, is like, the guy's a gardener. Obviously it's a Master Gardener. He works on this big estate. I, I'm hesitant to say what the, cultural idea is that the movie is going toward it's in the trailer but i haven't i didn't see the trailer and when i watched the movie it was like a shocking reveal that this is what was happening so i think like if you like paul schrader you should just go see master gardener and see what you what you think about it and you know like i said i don't think it's quite as good as his other ones but i think it's very good but um i I, just, I like that he's able to take this similar story that he's written so many times and make it feel fresh every time he writes a new one and makes a new movie casts a new actor, uh, comments on a different area of American society and how we need to reform ourselves and, and try to get better. And his characters are usually not good at, at actually solving problems, right? Like they are tragic yeah. characters who end up not coming to a good end, but sometimes they do. Um, but I, I think that that's just interesting. Like, you know, Schrader is, seems passionate about pointing out the big problems in society and like maybe they're too big to solve maybe maybe we can't actually come up with too big for one person change. to solve maybe or right who fucking knows yeah. yeah and so but i i think it's just it's fascinating to see what he's been doing late in his career using this the story framework that he loves and writing it in ways that feel new and interesting every time so yeah well there you have it everybody we recommend 
all of Paul Schrader's work. <laughs> yes. Anything Paul Schrader has done, uh, watch it. Um, but I am recommending the Starling Girl. <laughs> there you go. Yes, that's right. After that long tangent about Paul Schrader. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend you know the first. I've recommend First Reformed. I've seen that one. I love that one. It's, I've shared it a few times. It's, it's so good. One of my all time favorite movies. The best thing Ethan Hawke has ever done. He is fucking incredible in, in that movie. Yeah. God, I, I got to go watch it again. I got to watch the Starling <laughs> Girl and I got to watch First Reformed again. <laughs> and the card counter. And, and the card Gardner. counter and the Master Gardener. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll watch Taxi Driver. All right. I'll start the Scorsese kick after that. Who <laughs> <laughs> fucking does? <laughs> Cool. Uh, well, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, John, any, any parting thoughts for the listeners at home? No, we got just a ton of recommends. Like the, the last recommender review, we had a lot of recommends too. I mean, I refuted knocking, but whatever you were going to go watch the other stuff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, knocking sounded interesting to me the way you were describing it. It is it. still interesting. It's just like, I feel hesitant to recommend it. it. It was one of those things where I was like a little too frustrated with how it went down. But if you're like big into the technical aspects of film, it's, it's a good time. I still think it was really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Um, nothing else. I don't have anything else cool. to add. All right. Uh, I have been your host, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, John Garcia. And uh, we're pouring out these Coronas for Ryan because we don't want to drink them. So That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah, pour, pour it into your empty glass. <laughs> Get the pouring sound. Hold on. Do it. That's for you, Ryan. That's for family. <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.